welcome to Turning Point. All your life, you've been encouraged to follow your dreams. But no one tells you that sometimes your dreams disappear. Then what do you do? Today, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to God's Word for the answer and shares from a time in King David's life when he dreamed of doing something big for God. To introduce today's message, When Your Dream Dies, here's Dr. Jeremiah. You know, the Bible was never meant to be a book on psychology or or a motivational manual or something that uh, you read to get pumped up, as some people say. But uh, even though it was not prepared to do that and its purpose is not to do that, it often does that. When you read the Bible, you often get pumped up, if you can use those terms, and you often learn lessons that you might read about in a book of motivation. And here's an example of that in today's lesson, um, When Your Dream Dies. It's a story of David's vision and love and desire and dream to build a house for God. And uh, he put a lot into it, including a lot of his own resources, and got to the edge of the dream, and God shut it down. And his dream died. All of us who do what I do, and lead and build buildings and grow churches and build ministries. We've had experiences like that where we've gotten to the edge of something we thought God wanted us to do, and he shuts it down, and our dream dies, and then we have to decide what to do. We're going to learn all about that in these next two days as we watch David in action when his dream dies. Second Samuel chapter 7. Uh, friends, we're going to Israel in March of uh, 2024, not too many months away. It's getting closer and closer every day I talk about it. And uh, we're going to visit Jerusalem and Galilee and the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. We're bringing all of our people with us, Michael Sanchez, Uriel Vega, and others. And we're going to have a great celebration in Israel. At this point in time, it may be the largest group we've ever taken to the Holy Land, and we'd love for you to come along and be with us. Each person is on a bus of about 40-some people. Each bus has its own guide. Each bus has its own bus captain couple from our ministry here in California. And you are, you are, you grow into a family over the period of time you're traveling through Israel and you come away with many close friends and you also have the experience of walking where Jesus walked and living in Bible territory. I'd love for you to come with us, and there's still room for you, but you don't want to wait till the last minute on this one, because this one is is uh, registering very fast. Go to davidjeremiah.org slash events, get all the info, plan to be with us in Israel in March of 2024. Well, I've told you a little bit about today, and I want to get us into this lesson. This is part one of When Your Dream Dies. All of the success motivation literature that has been written in recent years is built around the concept of a dream. We are told that at the very foundation of our ability to achieve great things in life is the visualized accomplishment of those things before they ever happen. We are told that every great accomplishment begins in the mind before it ever takes place in reality. And we are encouraged that we are to dream great dreams and let the dreams be the motivation for our life. I do not find any controversy in that information. 
I understand that there is much being discussed today because of the New Age movement about uh, visualization, and I know that some people have taken it far beyond what I have spoken already. But you know, the Bible speaks about dreams, and the Bible tells us that we are to have faith and we're to believe. I think often of Abraham, who looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He was a dreamer. Go through the list of the people who are found in the Hall of Fame in the New Testament in Hebrews 11, and you will find a whole host of dreamers. People who believed before they could see, who trusted when it didn't seem like there was any reason to trust, but they had a dream. Shakespeare said, we are such stuff as dreams are made on. And he was right. You tell me what you dream about and I'll tell you what you are, or better yet, what you will become. It is that kind of dream that drove Lindbergh in 1927 to cross the Atlantic in a single-engine plane. He dreamed it happened, and it came true for him. It was that kind of a dream that made it possible for a little boy with weak legs and a poor background who was told by everybody around him that he would never amount to much. But he had a dream in his own heart to become somebody, and he ended up becoming one of the greatest track athletes of the century. His name was Jesse Owens. And it was that that was born in the heart of a great man who wanted to help people know and understand the Bible and to spread its teachings throughout the world. His name was Dwight Lyman Moody, and his dream seemed to be all but over in the fires of Chicago in 1871, but out of the ashes of that fire, came the great Moody Bible Institute and the Moody Church and ultimately the Moody Press and the Moody Monthly and the Moody Radio Network and the Moody Science Films and all of that from one man's dream. Yes, you won't have to look hard to find out how to dream better and bigger, but I dare say you will go a long way before you will read too much on what to do when your dreams are broken. What happens when you dream and they don't come true? What happens when you see big things that never come to pass? How do you function on a broken dream? Well, we have a lesson about that in the Word of God today because we have the man David who is a dreamer. In the first three verses of the seventh chapter of 2 Samuel, we have what I have called a dream is born. And we read, And it came to pass when the king sat in his house... And the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. Now it's significant that David has been living up to this moment of time at a fast pace. The fact is he's had no time to dream. He's been running. He's come to the throne of Israel, a tired and worn out fugitive. As somebody has said, he's been living out of a suitcase for months. He has gone through the emotional upheaval of the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. And since coming to the throne of Israel, he has captured the stronghold of Zion. He's had a number of wars with the Philistines, and he's gone through that whole thing about bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. So the context of David's dream is, first of all, he is at ease. 
It is a context of peace and quiet. The first time he's had a chance to sit down and think about anything for a long time. And while he is at rest, he has a vision for God. Now, because he was so busy he couldn't dream, we understand why there are so few dreamers today. We are so busy, going so rapidly in so many directions, we don't have time to think about anything great. We're just trying to figure out how we're going to get through tomorrow, let alone the future. Somebody has said that all the great dreamers are under 40. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I can understand why that might be. By the time you get to be 40, you have children and businesses and responsibilities and and, uh, advancement and sometimes illness and grandparents, and you don't have time to dream. But David, in his under 40 years, has settled down in the palace. The Bible says he is at rest from all of his enemies. He is in a moment of quietness, and he begins to think about something great. The context of his dream was peace. Now, the concern of his dream was a place. Notice what he says. He speaks to Nathan the prophet, and he says, I dwell in this house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. When David had become the king of Israel, a man by the name of Hiram, who was king of Tyre, had a palace of cedar built for David. And I guess it was something to see. It was a beautiful place. It sure was great for David, who'd spent most of his nights in caves. Having a beautiful cedar-walled house was something special. And apparently during this time of peace, when he had no wars to fight and everything was good in the kingdom, David was seated in his house looking at those beautiful cedar-paneled walls, thinking about what a wonderful thing it was to have this place to live in. And then he remembered that the Ark of the Covenant, which they had brought back to Jerusalem, was located in a tent outside the city. And David began to think about it. And in that moment of time, a dream was born. I am going to do something about that. They say that most dreams are simply finding a need and filling it, finding out something that needs to be done and determining to do it. And that's what happened to David. I'm going to build a house for God. Now, the problem that David saw was far more reaching than that because when they brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, a lot of things took place that hadn't happened before. For instance, if you have a chance sometime, read the 16th chapter of 1 Chronicles, and you will discover that at that particular time, the 24 course of priests was appointed. That was a way to do the work of God. It was an arrangement which lasted all the way up to the time of our Lord. The Levites were organized... And there were 24,000 of them to help the priest carry out the worship of Jehovah, which was centered around the Ark of the Covenant. 4,000 were musicians and singers. 4,000 were guards and watchmen. And the remainder of these people were scattered throughout the land, and they taught the law, and they executed justice, and they performed other public offices. So when the Ark of the Covenant came to Jerusalem, there was an awful lot that happened. And here are now this tremendous number of people that have gathered and there's no places for them to live. All of this body of men was gathering around the Ark in the palace and it was necessary to build some kind of headquarters to deal with all of this. So as David looked out at his world from his paneled house and he saw that there was no permanent place to carry on the work of God, he said, I'm going to do something about that. 
He was concerned that he lived in such luxury while the house of God was in such need. The context of his dream was peace, and the concern of his dream was a place. Now watch the confirmation of his dream. The confirmation of his dream was a prophet. I love what happens. When David's alone and he doesn't have any wars to fight, guess who he's spending time with? The prophet of God. That's all right. I think that speaks well of David. A lot of times when people don't have any wars to fight and their life has come to a standstill, they get into trouble. There's another occasion when David doesn't go to war and he's at home and he's taking it easy on his housetop. And that time he gets into a lot of trouble. But this particular moment, David is spending time with Nathan. And as soon as he had the dream to build the house of God, he went and got the prophet and he brought him in. And he said, Nathan, let me tell you what God wants me to do. And Nathan listened to his dream. And I'll tell you what, may God increase the tribe of Nathans everywhere. Nathan said, listen, David, whatever God has said to you, go for it. Do it. It'll work. Everybody needs a Nathan. Everybody. Have you ever walked into the presence of somebody that you thought would be an encouragement to you and you are all steamed up about something you're going to do? You got this great new idea and you walk in and you tell them this great new idea and they just look at you? And uh, maybe you haven't, you haven't phrased it right so you go back and you back up and you give it another shot and they just look at you. And there's no affirmation, there's no confirmation, there's no encouragement. Somebody gave me a little bit of very bad poetry to describe what it's like if you're not a Nathan. It's called robbed. Listen carefully. The dangerous people are not the ones who hit you with clubs and rob you with guns. The thief won't attack your character traits or belittle your abilities to your face. It likely will be a well-meaning friend who merely crushes your will to win. No, he doesn't rob you at the point of a gun. He simply says, it can't be done. When pointed to thousands who already are, he smiles and says, well, they're superior. Personality-wise and abilities, too, they're way ahead of what others can do. It matters not that his words are untrue, for you feel that others must really know you. So you're robbed of your hopes, your dreams to succeed, robbed of the material blessings received, robbed of your faith that says, I can, and robbed by an ignorant, gunless friend. So the deadliest of men is not he with a gun, but the one who tells you it can't be done. For that taken by burglars can be gotten again. But what can replace your will to win? End of poem. Do you ever know anybody like that? Oh, my. It seems like fundamentalism has more than their share. They are so anxious to tell you the reasons why it can't be done. Somebody has written a book called The Seven Last Words of the Church. We never did it this way before. (laughs) But praise God for Nathan. Nathan said, David, whatever God's put in your heart to do, man, you just do it. Go for it. When I first came here to this church, we had in the early days of my ministry the opportunity to have Jerry Falwell here for a meeting. I don't know exactly what it was. It was some kind of a city meeting, and then he spoke to our church. And I remember that night. I was just here for a few weeks, and Jerry was talking about when he had gone to the church where he was in Lynchburg and how they had gotten those people together. He said one of the first meetings he ever had with his deacons. 
they brought him in the room and sat him down and they said, Pastor, we have a very simple way to understand how this church should be run. Here it is. Whatever God has put in your heart to do, you do it and we'll help you. My goodness. No wonder God has blessed that work. And no wonder it's become a place where many people have been helped and encouraged all over the world. Has he made mistakes? Absolutely. But he had some Nathans. And I'll tell you something. Maybe God has raised you up to be a Nathan to somebody. And I'd encourage you to be it because the world needs Nathans like it has never needed them before. So David had a dream to build a house of God. The context of the dream was peace. The concern of the dream was a place and the confirmation of the dream was a prophet. Now I suppose that if we stopped reading there in our Bibles, we ought to expect that what we're going to see now is, and immediately there was a flurry of activity and the wood began to be gathered and the stone began to be gathered and David's out there and I can see him in all of his glory. His dreams taking shape, the foundation is going in, people are bringing all this stuff and the next chapters ought to be filled with all of the activity that is the realization of David's great dream for God. But that's not what the text says. That night, Nathan the prophet went home. Sometime during the night, God spoke to him. And I would like to encourage you to let me share with you the conversation that Nathan has with God and with David as it's recorded in 1 Chronicles 17. Uh, it's here in the 7th chapter. It's even more pointed in 1 Chronicles 17. And I want you to turn over there, if you will, and let me read to you what happens next. 17, 1 Chronicles 17. Now, I'm just going to read it, and you'll get the picture. Now, it came to pass... As David sat in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. And Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thy heart, for God is with thee. And it came to pass the same night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell David my servant, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel into this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wheresoever I have walked with all Israel, spake I a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people, saying, Why have ye not built me a house of cedars? And then he goes on to tell David some other things that we'll get to in a moment. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Here's a man with a great dream. It's a godly dream. It's not self-motivated. It's not something David wants for himself. He wants to build a house for God. And he's all excited about it. It seems like it's the right thing to do. Even the prophet said, go for it. But the next day, the prophet comes back in and said, David, I had another talk with the Lord last night. And he said, no way. You aren't going to do it. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when your dreams are broken? I know that there are people here today who have understood some of that in your own lives and in your experience. Maybe your dream was to go to the mission field. And God put it in your heart and you went forward in a service and you said, I'm going to go. And you went to school and you got trained and you were all ready and you went to the mission board to give your testimony and they examined you and they said, no, you can't go. You're not ready. You're not qualified. You're not prepared. And now the years have gone by and your dream is broken and you don't understand it. 
You brought those children into the world, and when they were first born, you brought them to the Lord, and you had them dedicated in church, and you said, Lord, these children belong to you. We want to give them back to you to serve you. And you had great hopes and dreams for them, and you, and you prayed for them every day, and you guided them the best you knew how. And all of a sudden, somewhere along the way from childhood to adulthood, they took another turn, and they went a different direction, and they decided not to please God and not to live for God. And you look at those kids, and your heart is broken, and most of all, your dreams are broken. Mister, you started out with that business and you were going to use that business to bring honor and glory to God and you were praying that God would bless it so that it could be the fountainhead of furnishing many ministries with income and money and all of that. And you gave it everything you had and it seemed as if God said, go for it. And then all of a sudden in the midst of it, there was some unexpected reversals and all of that dream in a moment of time went up in smoke and there's nothing left except the bankruptcy and the letters and the problems and the legal affairs and and you wanted to do it for God and he said no what do you do when your dreams are broken well I think we learn from David some things to do and maybe you're here today and you're just one of those people you've been on a high since you can remember you've never known reversal You've just been going forward for God from day one and everything is just clicked one right after the other. I seem to know some folks like that, although I don't know the inward workings of it all. It's very improbable that anyone gets all the way through life from the cradle to the grave without experiencing some disappointment somewhere along the way. So let me suggest some things that David did that helped him when his dreams were broken. Number one, review what you have without the dream <laughs> and that's a very interesting thing because sometimes we get our hearts set on something and it becomes everything we we get something in our sight that we're going to do and if we can't do that it's like the rest of the world goes away and there's nothing left i can see in david with the intensity of his heart and his aggressiveness and surely his desire to accomplish his goals that when he decided he wanted to build a temple that's all he thought about day and night every day and when he told Nathan and Nathan said it was okay he probably didn't sleep all night long he was working on the plans and had the architectural drawings laid out and it was so important to him and then all of a sudden the door is slammed on that and he can't do it and we read in verse 18 of the seventh chapter that when Nathan had finished talking to David, David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, now watch this, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? If you go back into the speech that Nathan made to David, Nathan told David that he was somebody special for God, that God had brought him from the sheepfold and he brought him to the kingdom and he had set him up on high that he was one of heaven's favorite people. And now David, realizing that he can't do what he wants to do, he is before God and he's beginning to review what God has done for him. And he's saying, Lord, I wanted to build you this house. It was my dream. It's my goal. But Lord, as I review everything, boy, do I have a lot to be thankful for. Oh, man, I wanted to do this and I'm disappointed that I can't. But I'm not going to let this disappointment cloud my vision of God's provision. And then if you go through there, you'll discover 
that David begins to rejoice that God has honored him among all the nations. He begins to rejoice that God has set before him a future. In essence, when you get all done with it, what God has said to David, David, I won't let you build a house for me, but I'm going to build a spiritual house for you. And David came to recognize that. Wow. Well, we have more about that tomorrow here on Turning Point. I hope you'll join us then as we flesh out this story and finish with the conclusions to which David arrived. Uh, Let me remind you that during the month of July, we're making available to all of you who help us with the gift uh, to help Turning Point continue to thrive in your community. Uh, We're offering the book, The God Shot. Scripture's meant to reveal God to us, but sometimes it's hard for us to see Him there. What if all you needed was a new lens? We often look to the Bible for advice on how to live, but when that becomes our focus, sometimes we forget that the real purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to us, His character, what He wants us to do and what He wants to tell us about Himself. The God Shot, a wonderful book, and we want to send it to you as our way of saying thank you for your gift to Turning Point during the month of July. When you send your gift during the month of July, ask for The God Shot, and it will be on its way to you before you know it. See you tomorrow. Have a great day. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Tender Warrior, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The God Shot, a devotional focused on God's character by teacher and podcast host Tara Lee Cobble. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Many people say they know Jesus, but all too often they know about him, but they don't truly know him. For this reason, Dr. David Jeremiah wrote The Jesus You May Not Know, which provides insight about his eternal nature and role on earth and in heaven. This book is yours with a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for donations of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, He Is Bookmark, Study Guide, and CD or DVD album. Go to davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. 
Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. The Reverend Billy Graham once said, if a person gets his attitude toward money straightened out, then almost all other areas of his life will be straightened out. And I couldn't agree more. I believe Dr. Graham's words are true because the Bible puts such an emphasis on giving generously, giving to God and giving to those in need. When a person willingly gives up a measure of his wealth because he knows it pleases God, then that person's priorities and other areas will likely be pleasing to God as well. The use of money is the greatest barometer of a person's maturity, priorities, and values. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's principles concerning money on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.